Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk everything about anxiety, big emotions, emotion regulation. Today is part three of hoarding. Before I talked about what hoarding is, then last week I talked about some of the interventions, things that we need to think about, skills, and the the main key, you know, overarching things that we're addressing. Today I want to talk more about relapse prevention and also just important considerations to have to make sure that we're promoting long-term success. I think that that's really important. So first let's go into relapse prevention. So just because someone's learned the skills and they're all decluttered up, we need to make sure we're establishing solid habits, like putting things away right away, as soon as they get home, exactly where it belongs. If they buy something, they're, they're not putting the bag down for more than 30 seconds before they're putting things away. They're washing dishes and putting those away right away. They're taking out garbage, recycling regularly. They're doing their laundry and immediately putting it away when it's done. Those types of things are really important, especially when we're looking at executive functioning deficits. Oftentimes people have the skills, they have the know-how, but it's an, a, a, a disorder of performance. So being able to use those skills when they need them in the heat of the moment, before things get chaotic and out of hand, that's going to be really important. Oftentimes people forget to work on clutter. We're so focused on decluttering and and avoiding acquisition. We're forgetting to also work on clutter with clients. So that's definitely a piece that we have to work on, right? Making sure we're just avoiding that in the first place. And, and, and not, it's not avoiding behaviors. It's that we are avoiding creating clutter by doing proactive behaviors in the first place. We also want to make sure there's skills there to maintain their motivation, to remember their big why it's fantastic. If you've got someone with you every day, helping you along, reminding you or weekly, however long the process is going to take, that's great, but they need to have their internal motivation systems and remembering why they they're doing this, why they're keeping their place decluttered, what are their values? That's all going to be really important. And even basic things too, like making sure they're keeping up with their personal hygiene and proper nutrition that can often become an issue, especially if their house has become so cluttered, they can't access the fridge or a stove or a bathtub. So getting back into these behaviors, it's behavioral activation. We want to make sure that they're doing these things that are important for their life and they're leading their life of values. All of those things are going to be really important. Having ongoing support from family and friends is also critical for this relapse prevention, right? We also want to just make sure we're preparing for setbacks. Things happen in life all the time. Life is always throwing us curveballs. So they, they have to learn how to be proactive get on offense. We're going to teach them how to get on offense. And that's really important to set them up for success so that we're addressing all of those barriers that can be coming up now above and beyond the actual treatment interventions themselves that I went over last time. There's a few really important considerations to think about. First is the fact that the majority of people experiencing hoarding disorder also have another mental health concern like ADHD, which I keep bringing up, right? I mentioned that earlier. I just happen to have a lot of clients who with ADHD, who have a lot of hoarding behaviors. And it, those are definitely the kiddos that start young and they just never learn those skills that they need. So ADHD is huge. Also, there's other anxieties. There's low mood trauma. That's a huge one. Oftentimes trauma is so associated with the onset of hoarding behaviors. So we really got to consider what is the potential underlying trauma that might need to be addressed. 
Maybe there's potential social impairment, social isolation and withdrawal. So again, having that thorough understanding is going to be so important. We have to understand this individual in this context, at this point of time, that's important for us to be able to optimize our effectiveness to make sure we're addressing what's important. We also need to make sure we're patient. I've seen too many people, even mental health professionals, but certainly family and friends or neighbors, right? They get impatient. They get frustrated, especially mental health professionals where they're just not seeing progress. They're getting impatient with their clients and annoyed with their clients. And that comes out. Our nervous systems talk to each other. That comes out, right? And so we actually see, I mean, there's so much research out there showing that mental health professionals often maintain quite a high level of frustration when they're working with clients with hoarding disorder. That's a problem because our frustration, they pick up on it, even subconsciously, they pick up on it and there becomes this clash and then they become overwhelmed and then they lose trust. Oh my gosh. If they lose trust in us, they're going to start, they're going to forget all of those value rules that we've worked on, right? That frustration that we have, it directly impairs our working alliance and it directly disrupts the whole therapeutic process. So we need to make sure that we are in check. If you're a family or friend, making sure that you're able to co-regulate and manage your own frustration so that you're not contributing to the worsening of the hoarding behavior. So that's going to be really important. Now, one thing we really need to remember and maybe this can help just, you know, soften the edges around some of our frustration. Most of the time, remember the very first episode I talked about 50 was the average age that people came in for treatment. Most of the time, by the time they've come in for treatment for hoarding behaviors, they've become so deeply ingrained. They're so automatically entrenched and our brain doesn't learn work in subtraction. It only works in addition. So we need to create new, stronger behaviors that takes time, right? Oftentimes they do have low insight, low awareness, or those big defense mechanisms, right? Oftentimes they usually have other big behaviors that interfere directly with the intervention that we're doing. So it's really critical that we have realistic, realistic expectations, and so if we have realist, realist, I'm having a hard time saying realistic expectation when, if we have those, we're remaining patient, we're remaining persistent and caring and supportive and confident, all of those things that we need, right? So we're ensuring we're engaging in self-care. We're seeking consultation. We're seeking supervision. If we see ourselves getting frustrated, that is only going to impair our progress further, right? Seeing where we can tweak what we're doing, maybe just maybe, well, we always know, right? If clients aren't following through with homework and doing the things that we ask them, it's not their resistance that we need to work on. We need to make sure we're attuned to our relationship. Do we still have a strong working relationship? Are we assigning appropriate tasks that they can do successfully? Are they bought into the process? Are we working collaboratively? That's all so important. Have we tapped into that change talk? Are we actually engaging in questioning and motivational interviewing? Or are we just telling them what to do? So we really need to take a step back because I think that that's going to be important. Uh, other important pieces to optimize our outcomes, home visits. That's really important, especially when we're working on generalizing the skills, right? So they're learning these skills. We want to boost their motivation to change. Having someone there can really help that process. And then we want to generalize the skills. 
right? And making sure they're learning the right skills. It might be like, yeah, 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 in the office, but then they go and then they forget their value. They're just randomly doing things, right? And they forget the whole process. They forget that framework. It's not become entrenched. So that's going to be really important. And and in your office, they're going to have all these cues and signals to help remind them. But when they go back into the point of performance, into the ecological place that they're in, we got to think of the ecological validity of our of the work that we're doing. They don't have those cues and those reminders. So that's going to be really important, right? Making sure they're doing the organizing correctly, applying those value rules that we've established effectively. All that's going to be really important. And it's not just home visits either, right? It's also going to other places where they have trouble controlling, acquiring behaviors, where they need to work on that distress tolerance. So going with them to flea markets, to yard sales, being able to do that. That's going to be really important. Now, a lot of time individuals, when they come, if they come, they're usually brought to therapy by other people, or maybe they're being evicted from their house. So they're mandated clients, right? So we really need to address their stage of change because if they're mandated, we're going to be working very differently than if they are coming. If they're coming themselves on their own accord, we already have a lot of motivation to work with. But if they feel put out or just another, oh my gosh, my parents are throwing me back into this again, or my children are, I have no control of my life. I'm a grown woman. (laughs) That can be a big problem. We have a lot more barriers that we need to go. Not that that's a problem, but we're, we're not going to jump right into decluttering. We have a lot more motivational interviewing that we need to do. We can't just jump into that. Right. So some work needs to be done beforehand just to get them considering the idea of change in the first place, just helping them develop the insight into their hoarding behaviors. So that's going to be really important. We can also think about the language we use. We really need to consider changing the language because that can create so much unnecessary distress, especially in the early stages. So instead of discarding, we're sorting, we're organizing things right? We're not throwing away your possessions. We're sorting them, organizing them, or decluttering, just looking at the language, because that alone can be enough to trigger the amygdala and set off that distress response. So that's important to think about as well. Uh, Another thing, forced cleanouts, not productive, not helpful. They're going to hurt. They're going to feel hurt, right? And if they're feeling hurt and vulnerable and distrusting everyone around them, they're going to cling to their hoarding behaviors and that's going to make treatment so much more difficult. And they're not going to have a working alliance with us. They're not going to trust other people to help. So it's just going to be leading to more self-distraction, behavioral avoidance, hoarding behaviors, and clutter. So we want to make sure we're avoid forcing anything if we can. The only time where maybe a forced sort of clean out must happen is if there's a public health and safety issue, right? Now there's authority coming in and saying this needs to be done. And oftentimes, you know, that's where I see a lot of people, they've kind of come to the last straw. They're not thrilled about it. So they're willing to do what they need to do to get the police off their back or authority, the government, the city off their back, but then that's about it. Right. So we want to make sure that even if they're mandated, that they're involved in this process. Right. So now we know we have to get, get, you know, get things sorted out. 
but we are, you are a partner here. You are a collaborative partner. You are an expert here. I'm an expert here. We're bringing our areas of expertise together to help you be successful. If there's cleaning crews, we got to be there to make sure we're supervising or someone's there to supervise so that they're following the client's established rules. They can't just throw things away that look, you know, nilly willy because that's going to disrupt the process as well. So we have to make sure that we're following those established rules that we've created. Now, in addition to addressing the mental health piece, physical health, obviously that's certainly helpful too, right? Because we know mind, body peace is going to be super. And and a lot of the lifestyle behaviors have kind of gone to the wayside with the chaos of the hoarding behaviors, because maybe now I don't have a proper place to sleep. Right. And, And our brain isn't paired for sleeping because there's just so much clutter around me. We're not eating healthfully. We're not exercising. We're not taking care of ourselves. Oftentimes we really do need a multidisciplinary team. Even just having a home clean out, you know, and professional organizing services, that's going to be really important to help with optimizing outcomes. If we're just leaving everything to one person to follow those rules, it's going to be so overwhelming. So we want to make sure we've got a multidisciplinary team and, and a community of people, right? It takes a village to support this person. Um I know that medications is always a big question. So I thought I'd quickly talk about medication. I'm not a big fan of medication for anxiety or depression. Uh, We know that myth that there's chemical imbalances. It's simply not true. So we don't want to get bought into that. And medication often becomes a safety signal and a safety behavior. I can't handle it unless I'm taking my medication. And we, that's a, we, it's a whole other ball of wax that I don't want to necessarily get into. And there's just not enough research out there to demonstrate the effectiveness of medication, especially for hoarding disorder. Right. So maybe for OCD, you know, there's like association with those kinds of things, but, but really it's not pills aren't skills. Okay. I worry about the safety behaviors. I re- I worry about the reinforcing those anxiety stories already, right? And because there's not medication specifically for hoarding disorder, I just, you know, I'm worried about that. And, and, and there, there's just not research supporting it. There's a lot of behavioral things that we need to do. That's what we need to focus on. Now, certainly medication is helpful with comorbid challenges. If they have ADHD, medication is awesome, Right. It's contributing to a lot of those executive functioning deficits and that distractibility and the brain shutting down. So having, you know, the brain alert so that we're not getting distracted. And because when we get distracted, that leads to clutter that needs to be addressed, certainly. Right. But we really need to look at what kind of medication, what's actually, you know, is medication part of this treatment? If there's severe, severe depression, and, and they can't even engage in simple behavioral activation pieces. Hopefully if we're doing our job good, we should be able to get them to engage in some of that behavioral activation, but if they can't, well then, you know, oftentimes medical, you know, doctors will say, Hey, let's get you on some antidepressants, SSRIs, just to get you engaged in the intervention that you need to do just to get your brain working a little bit, get, build up some of that momentum. But oftentimes if we're doing really solid work, we don't necessarily need the medications, but certainly, you know, we, we got to look at that because the other thing is too, a lot of individuals with hoarding disorder, they're prone to medication mismanagement. So we really got to consider all of the costs and benefits. 
So today was a little bit shorter of an episode, but I just wanted to make sure that I was capitalizing on some of those things that we really need to consider for, for hoarding disorder, because it can be, there can be a really fine line that we're walking. If we haven't established that working alliance, if we haven't established that trust and, you know, a multidisciplinary team that's there and they feel like we are all on that person's team helping to support them as they go through this process, because it's not a choice. It is a real mental health issue. And we are working together as a team, not against them. We are working with them against that trickster brain, right? That's meant to make us anxious and depressed. And so that's going to be a key piece. And we want to make sure how we talk, how we address things, the words we use, just our way of being is going to be so, so important understanding, you know, I'm always talking about the supportive and the confidence that's going to be important to address, looking at the skills and how can we get that buy-in motivation? Just, we can't just instill motivation. It's how we are engaging with individuals to help support them. So I'll leave it there for today. Thank you for joining me again. Hopefully this was helpful. If you have any questions about hoarding, certainly let me know, email me, hop on my Monday consultation calls. I would love to chat with you or we can book a a private consultation as well. You can join me in my anxiety compass class. I would love to have you there. Otherwise I will see you next week. Take care. (music) 